Today, we're chatting with Alejandro Corpeño of Hello Iconic about the shape of a developer. Let's get rolling. Software runs our world. It's at the center of everything. And you, a passionate software developer, are at the epicenter. The world needs you to be the best you can be. Welcome to the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Summerdahl. I'm driven to develop and code because coding saved my life. In a few short months, I went from floundering junior to sought after senior and on to architect and eventually CTO. All the things I've learned through the years, I wanna give back to you. Join me and a new guest every week as we share the tools and skills you need to become a driven developer and make a more meaningful impact on our world. Hey everybody, we're here with Alejandro Corpeño from Hello Iconic in Pasadena, California. Alejandro, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello. Uh, yes, uh, thank you for, for having me. And I am a um, software developer from Honduras, actually. And uh, I run Hello Iconic. We are a, a company that builds software for many companies and startups. And um, yeah, uh, what, what do you want to know? from myself well that's that's pretty cool so you went from being a programmer to running a programming company right yeah do you do you want to tell us about some of your clients yeah yeah we we have been uh working with clients like uh disney uh universal then some startups that uh recently have been raising money so we have clients mostly in in big corporations like the ones I mentioned, but also clients like Neil Young, the artist. We build all of yeah. his mobile applications and web for his music. And then we help startups uh, that usually there's a founder that doesn't have like a tech co-founder to build their idea. And we help them in that first build up and then help them raise capital with, with the first uh, iteration of the product. Um, we started pretty early on, just uh, my business partner and I, I was building all of the back end systems and he was building the front end, uh, mostly iOS and Android applications. And then we started growing the team since 2011. We were like four people to now we are more than 50. So it's been a really uh, rapid growth in the last uh, five years, mostly. Uh, just growing up the team in all of the areas. We were doing just development first. Now we're doing design, development, QA, product management and also helping clients on their product strategy at the very beginning, like ideation, innovation, and all those kind of uh, topics. What would you say is the project that really set you all off, that pushed you into the direction that you've been going? There are two projects. Uh, one was photo editing mobile application that we created. Basically, um, it's what Snapchat Lenses is now, but we did that in 2011 uh, with wow. pretty, uh, you know, taking a photo, scanning the face with OpenCV, then putting, initially just your eyes were turning red because we're turning people into vampires in a mobile application. <laughs> so um, it was a, an idea that we were uh, toying with a client. This client, they had a, an agency and they work with a lot of TV networks. So um, at the time he wanted to build a vampire uh, infection 
network, <laughs> basically on, on Twitter, <laughs> because uh -huh. one of his clients was the Bram Stoker estate. So Bram Stoker oh. is the author of Dracula, and they wanted to bring uh, uh, Dracula back to the mainstream. So that was the, the wait, genesis wait, of wait. Dracula. You're saying that Dracula left the mainstream? In, in, a, in a way, like... You I'm know, pretty sure the, my, my, my little kids still know who Dracula is. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure Choc, uh, Count Chocula is, is keeping <laughs> yeah. the, the legend alive. <laughs> yeah. They wanted to bring them basically to the social media, like having uh, a Twitter account that Dracula managed. And by interacting with Dracula, you would become infected. So the, the first idea was to only to change your avatar to put your some red eyes and, and make you a vampire. But that led to an experiment we did with, with Jorge, my, my business partner, on uh, detecting the eyes on the photos, on the avatars of, of people, and turning them red. But then that led to more experimentation. And once we had the eyes, we could detect the face. We could put a hat on you. And then the uh -huh. idea grew to, to, to pitching, instead of a Twitter uh, handle, is a mobile app where you can take a photo of yourself and tur turn yourself into a vampire completely. So <laughs> we built up like a prototype in like a couple of weeks and the client loved it. He had it uh, in his phone, like the early prototype. And in any party he went to with all these TVXX, he was showing it. And he happened to be in a meeting or in a social uh, gathering with someone from the, the Walking Dead. And they said, like, can you package this for zombies? And the answer was yes. And that was yeah. the product that really propelled us. Like, that app was massive. We had, like, 15 million downloads. It was the first number one app in the App Store for many weeks. And that, in that experience, I learned to really handle massive backend systems uh, at scale. Mm -hmm. Because imagine the show back then in 2012, was the number one show in TV. Uh, every Sunday, there were like 50 million people tuning in to watch the show. And on the first ad break, the first thing they showed was go to deadyourself.com and download the app. So the app was getting from 100 requests per minute to 50,000 requests per minute in 30 seconds. So, yeah, yeah. And actually just looked up Dead Yourself on, on the Play Store. And um, it's still, after so many years, it's got uh, 4.6 stars. That's, mm -hmm. that's not bad at all. 5 million plus downloads. That's yeah. amazing. Incredible. Yeah, and, and actually, um, I remember back in, back in those days, I downloaded the app. And I was oh, showing yeah. it to all my friends and, and showing it to my wife. And it was, it was awesome. So good job making an app that, that, uh, that touched culture so deeply. Yeah, thanks. That was that, that's a project that really propelled us. And then we got into working with big TV networks that led to a deal also working with Disney, building other type of apps. Like now, now we're building TV apps for them, for Roku, Fire TV, and other clients. Like once you have those type of clients, then others like that start uh, doing business with you and you set up a company to work at that level. So since you're working with Disney, I have to ask, when does the Princess Yourself app come out? <laughs> well, I think they have multiple of those now. Like, uh, as I, I mentioned, I was just joking, but I didn't realize it actually existed. Yeah, no, they have a lot of Disney Yourself apps, and they're doing them through lenses now. Like, uh, they're 
since those days, now lenses or face filters are all over the place with Facebook, Snapchat. There are frameworks already launched by Facebook that allow you to create one of those without any any code, basically. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of those now going on. Man, man. Well, thank you for pioneering that area because now, thanks to you guys, anybody can be a zombie, anybody can be a vampire, anybody can be a princess. <laughs> yeah. So, Alejandro, tell me about what got you into programming in the first place. Hmm. Really, what got me to programming was uh, my innate disposition to drawing. Like, I like to draw, like, you know, paint and, and do cartoons. So, when I was, I think, like 14 years old, maybe, um, or earlier than that, but my father bought, um, I think it was a Tandy computer, and it had a little book for learning to code in basic, but I didn't know how to code. So I was just transcribing the, the code that was in the book, just letter by letter, and it had a little guy dancing with some music. So I did that without awesome. even knowing what I was typing. So that was my first interaction with it around like maybe 12, 13 years old. But then when I really, really got the, my first developer experience where you get like in the, in the zone and you are focused, you're in flow, was when I was in uh, in in school, we had a programming class and we were learning QBasic, but the teacher was they were teaching us the basics like uh, variables and take a you know a, a variable uh, a five plus nine equals uh, whatever yeah you know do the basic math. But in the mm -hmm. book, there was a section at the end of graphic mode in in QBasic. Sprites. Uh, so that really caught my attention. And during the vacations, I skipped to that section and started experimenting with graphics. So I was learning how to do circles, then a flood field to paint it, squares, lines. And then one thing led to another. And at that time, I really loved to watch Beavis and Butthead. That was my, my show, right? So I started drawing uh, Butthead in code. So just going with coordinates, like line, X, Y, and throwing one line, another line, flood filling. So first it took me like, let's say half an hour to do like his silhouette only. But then with time, I was drawing the whole thing, just going code, run, code, run, and checking it out. Yeah. And I got into the, the flow, uh, the zone. I think I spent like three days in a row, like not like just my mom was like, come, eat and i'm like yeah later so i was doing that for needs, three days who needs to eat when you're coding yeah 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 so i ran out of space on the qbasic editor like i don't know if you remember or you reached that point but there was a limit right so i had like five files that at the end of each one it had a go to the next file to run the whole episode because i ended up building an episode where you had beavis you had butthead you had Mr. Anderson coming in and a steward and there was a frog. So it has it had music also because my brother, uh, he plays the piano. So I told him, can you give me the notes for Beavis and Butthead's theme song and all of this? So I had like a, an episode of Beavis and Butthead that I have that on YouTube now. I, I'm going to share the link with you if you want to put it there, but it's there. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's the real thing that got me into coding because then I realized that 
I could create something from scratch and distribute it because I copied it into a diskette and my sister took it to the university to all of her uh, computer science friends and they were really amazed that they were like, who did this? It's like a 14-year-old kid sitting in, 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 you know, in his bedroom. So I love that, that, that experience and that got me into continuing building things for, for, for myself. Incredible, incredible. Uh, I love to hear the stories of what got someone started because uh, it reminds me of, of those days. I mean, I, I had a similar experience with a Commodore 64, right? And that big, thick book of basic. But, uh, but anytime I hear about somebody's story of origin, where they came from as a programmer, it reminds me of, of those days of like intense passion that, you know, we're, we're, who cares about eating? Who cares about, you know, I, I've, I've needed to pee for five hours, but I don't care because I'm here coding. I don't want to lose my flow. Um, and those were just, those were just fun days. It was, it was really, uh, yeah. it's kind of like, but before everything really got important, before everything got like money was part of it, before all the, all the professionalism and, and the teams and agile this and, and lean that, uh, it was just us and the code and making it do yeah. things that never have happened before. Yeah. It was more art, like straight from your mind to the computer, no, no process, no user story, <laughs> but it's more art. Like we're not building anything for business yet. So Alejandro, tell me about something that excites you about the future of software development or programming in general. The, the thing that excites me a lot is that it used to be that software was only for the scientists or the geeks to use. And nowadays it's uh, something for everyone. Like my mother uses software every day when she chats on WhatsApp uh, with me or sends photos or people are just using it without even, even knowing they're using a computer now. It's like too normal. Even Alexa or these voice assistants are software that doesn't really require you to touch a device. So that, that future or that present that we're in really excites me because now anyone that loves to create things can create through software. It's not that before, if you wanted to study computer science or programming, it was mostly because you were going to be working with a bank or a spreadsheet software. Now you can go to software to create something more you know, artistic or uh, things that are not necessarily your traditional uh, spreadsheet or your traditional banking application. Uh, so in that sense, I see kids right now interacting with coding, with uh, languages like Scratch, for example, where they learn the logic, but then they, they are going to go out and, and actually code uh, physical devices or just use code on their day-to-day. So uh, it's really the new uh, literacy, like learning how to code, to do things that are not just on your professional area, but uh, it's going to be something that helps you achieve uh, better results. Uh, with that, having said that, it's like um, something that is also going to enable countries like, like Honduras or others to really be part of the global economy. By learning how to code, you can be productive in the global economy. So all of that is, is things that keep me really excited about it. So over at Hello Iconic, I imagine 
like you said, you're not really doing a lot of coding these days. Uh, when's the last time you really considered yourself a, a, a programmer uh, full-time? Um, I think full-time, the last, the last time uh, I shipped code that went to production was around 2017, so maybe four years ago. Um, but I'm still really hands-on in the projects we work. We're in a, in a stage in the company where I am uh, in management, but I, I'm still in the day-to-day execution of some projects. So I don't code anymore, but I coach a lot uh, on the decisions and the architecture for my developers. Um, but I, I code for fun or for experimentation right now. But I don't right. consider that to be uh, a programmer's role in the in the company. Like, I can if I want to, I code, but I don't have to. <laughs> Where a right. developer really has to be coding every day, right? So, how does that feel? Like, kind of going from from really full time in the zone, constantly uh, seeking that next that next flow where you where you're uh, creating things with code and shipping things to production, and now you're you're working with people. Instead, how does that feel? And the first couple of years is really tough to get to detach yourself from the code. Mm-hmm. And since it comes out of passion, as we have been talking, I really love to code. So it is something that I do for fun or for relaxation. <laughs> so whenever I'm, I'm, I'm in the computer, for example, my wife or someone else comes and they see me at the computer, they think I'm working, but sometimes I'm relaxing, but I'm still coding uh, because I do it for, for fun. I'm learning something new. I want to experiment with a new API. Uh, so the psychology of not having to code for work was really tough in the first years that I was not doing code because the only m- metric for me to think or, or to feel productive was code. So mm-hmm. being in meetings, I felt I was wasting my time, but that was really what I needed to do. That, that's my productive work or writing a proposal or, you know, talking about a, a people issue at the company, like setting up a team, uh, deciding what to do for the scope of a project. All of those are my, my day-to-day job now. But in my mind, that first year, I always felt that I was not being productive because I wasn't coding. <laughs> so. That's totally internal in the head of the person in that role, but in looking backwards or in hindsight, that's uh, I think something that only you can solve. Like you have to go through it and then detach yourself. So now my day is still only meetings and pretty little coding, but now I I don't feel I'm wasting my my day. Now I know that is my role, and instead of building software, my role now is to build team a team, build teams, build systems, people systems. Yeah. 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 And and maybe from, maybe you've, you've zoomed out from developing code to developing products and developing relationships and developing people. Yeah. And really important to develop code, but in a way that is a, a codified process for the company. So instead of developing the code for the app, I develop the quote unquote code for how we build apps. So the processes, like standard operating procedures, that's where I spend a lot of the time right now, looking at how we do things 
and documenting it. So now it is an algorithm for my team to follow. Uh, and that's that's the level of code that I at least that's the the Jedi trick I gave myself to feel productive, yeah. still do my job. So now you're kind of managing developers more on a on a regular basis instead of developing um, the code yourself, which is kind of a way of of amplifying or or, um, or or multiplying yourself. You know, you you might have you might have done it before where you're only able to to output a certain amount of amount of product in a certain given amount of time, but now you've got five people or 10 people or 50 people working under you. And as long as they're falling into the funnel that you've created for them, like of, of code reviews and, and whatever other standards and, and, and coding standards that you, uh, that you want them to follow, they can kind of be a, a multiplier of you, right? Exactly, yeah. And I think one of the things that allow me to, to do that is when we started working on, on projects because the technology keeps evolving. But as a person, as a developer, you can only specialize in a couple of things if you really want to go deep. So there was a point where I was really deep on Ruby on Rails, for example. But we had a client that needed an app on Tyson, which is the OS that runs on Samsung smart TVs. So mm -hmm. I couldn't go and learn that in the time frame that we needed. So I had to set up a team of developers that could tackle that. And that was the first time, the first project that I didn't touch any code and still were, I was able to support the team, to work with them on defining what we're doing, but without touching code. So uh, I think at, that's the moment where as a developer, you start letting go because there's nothing you can do <laughs> in code unless you tell the client, give me six months because I have to go and learn this before I can be productive. So that's- I imagine doesn't business. go over very well, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as a business, then that's the point where you say, I just have to you know, hire people, trust their uh, skills and guide them through the process. It's time for you to take control. Hey, Byron here, coming at you from a different place and time to put a pause to this podcast and call attention to something really important. You've probably thought at times that it's really hard to get traction in your own learning and growth as a software developer. You should join the Dev Amplifier, the mastery growth system for software developers. In the Dev Amplifier, you'll receive weekly coaching and quests and assessments and check-ins all designed to help you grow from whatever level you're at as a software developer to the next level and amplify your career. It's only $83 a month, so stop everything else that you're doing right now, pause this podcast, and head over to my website to sign up for the Dev Amplifier right now. It'll be the best decision you make all day. Now, let's get back to the Driven Developer Podcast. So tell me more about that that specialization because I know that you had a pretty deep specialization in Ruby on the on Ruby on the Rails Ruby on Rails, but you also have a wide breadth of knowledge enough to be able to work effectively on a team that's creating zombie apps. So so, and you're also a very accomplished senior developer. So 
doesn't doesn't a a a deep special specialization in one area kind of handicap you doesn't it make it harder for you to really do a great job shouldn't you try to deepen your knowledge and expertise in all areas uh well yes yes and no but uh it's that concept from ideal right the or Stanford D school, they they made it really popular, uh, the T-shaped people. So meaning that in the horizontal axis, the T means that you have a lot of different areas of interest, but the T is that you go really deep in one or a couple of areas, right? So for example, uh, I see the in, in my own case and in some developers I've seen, most of them, they don't just develop. A lot of them play music. They have an instrument they are really good at. Uh, they paint or they draw. So they have other areas that they are interested in aside from developing. And then on development is where they go deep. But now if you zoom into the development area, there's still a, a T there. You can be a front-end developer, back-end developer, API developer, QA automation developer. So you have to pick one of them and really go deep into that. But the, the horizontal axis is where you can be knowledgeable enough in everything, but you have to be deep into one thing or a couple of things in order to really be senior at that level. Because on, on every discipline or every area of development, let's say a, a, a framework or a stack, there are so many things that you need to master that you can't really jump into the next framework every two months because you will never never become an expert on any of them. But there are patterns and commonalities that you can become really expert on regardless of the stack. Just know that those things are always true, no matter what stack you pick. So basically what you're saying is if you have a deep specialization, part of your deepening in that specialization is accumulating patterns and practices that maybe even make you stack agnostic in some ways. Like I, I agree with this. I, I think that you might even talk about uh, design patterns, you know, so like the, the, the dispatch pattern or the strategy pattern or, or uh, the factory pattern, those are the kinds of things that once you get those those patterns down pat and you really understand why they why they're useful or where to use them or what are the smells that trigger their 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 need, then you might be able to apply those same patterns in other areas of the stack or in other languages. Yeah, exactly, because that is I think the the inevitable uh, like evolution of a developer is to get those agnostic patterns because at the end, any technology is going to be old at some point. So you're going to specialize in it, but at some point it's going to be too old to be where the market is. So at that point, as a developer, you either have to pick another one and specialize or start using all of that experience that you have that is now agnostic to coach the new developers, the new generations that are specializing in the new technologies but help them see these things that are never going to become old. There's always uh, like patterns, as, as we say, that uh, are going to be there regardless of what technology you're using, right? 
Um, sometimes I sit down with developers that are really having a hard time because the application they're building, let's say they're building, building the application in Node, is responding too slow. And they are uh, just trying to make it faster, but skipping some basics, like just not asking themselves like, okay, what database are you using? I'm using Postgres, let's say. Okay, is the query that you're running indexed in every field that you're trying to check? And we go and it's not, it's not indexed, the table. So instead of trying to fix your code, we go into the database and just add one index and boom, it's working fast. That's it. But uh, if you if you just you know you don't specialize and you haven't seen that in the past, it might take you might solve it, but it's gonna take you weeks to figure it out. Where a senior is the first thing they're gonna ask, and you solve it in two minutes. Can you describe to me what you think might be now today in in this current age with the current uh, buffet of technologies that we have? And, and, and libraries and stacks and whatever, what would be for you the ideal T-shaped developer? Like if you've got to hire a developer, you want to add somebody to your team and you really want to find somebody that's useful. I want to, I want to say multi-purpose, but that kind of gets away from the, the whole T-shaped idea. But what's, what, is, what is the shape of a T-shaped developer that you would want to hire today? Mm. Well, I, th I think... It depends on a lot of things, but if I have to pick one, it's that combination of a developer that thinks like a designer, because a developer that is totally unaware of how things look or how they flow uh, is less effective, I think, than the ones that really care about how things are going to be perceived by the user. So there are some developers that I've seen that have that, that mix where they, they're not designers, but they are good enough in the visual sense to, to know and have an intuition of how things have to be laid on or how the, process, the, the flow, like the UX flow should happen, that by the time they end up shipping their code, it's already really usable and it already makes sense for the user. Contrasted to... Developers that are just, they just pick the, the user story and build it and it works, but in reality, it is still not fixing the problem. So at least just that mix of someone that has other areas that give them different point of views from the design aspect or the user experience, merging that with the developer skills, like being able to code, I think is a, it's a good mix. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really good point there that it's not maybe not necessarily about the graphics and like the pixel pushing that we that we need to do as developers, but it's understanding the user experience, having some empathy for the the, the users or the people that are going to be seeing and, and, and interacting with our code. If we don't yeah. have any empathy for the user, then we might code the thing in a way that that doesn't that doesn't make sense or that, that fights against what the UX designer is really trying to do. Yeah, and at the end it fights against the problem you wanna solve. Because I see that a lot. Like the developers, you just see the board and you know your Jira board with the stories, and all of the stories are getting done and they pass QA. 
but you test the feature and he's like, dude, but it's not doing the thing. It's everything passes. But if you try it, if you put yourself in the shoes of the user, the user is still not getting the value. So just getting that that perspective, I think, is one of the qualities of a senior that uh, has that T-shape. It's not just looking at the code and the, if it does the thing, but it looks at the other aspects of it. So Alejandro, what do you think or what do you wish developers would just get better at? Mm. Um, in general, it's communication skills, but but human communication skills, you know, mm. like being able to ask the right questions is something that I see the great developers do in a way that is, uh, I want to say, you know, natural to them. Like, uh, if you have a developer that hasn't developed that that skill, you see them just listening in on, on meetings and taking whatever the client or the PM is telling them and just go and, and do it. But the ones that are really good listen and then they ask really good questions. They ask questions like, why, why do you want to do that? What's, what's the end purpose, for example? Just to understand the context of why you're asking me to do this feature and go that step uh, a little bit beyond because just getting all the context is going to help them make good decisions. If they don't ask those questions at the first uh, obstacle they face trying to build the feature, they have to go back to the user or to the, the product manager and ask them, what should I do? Because they don't have context. But if they ask those right questions on that first meeting, then they, they are able to make good decisions. Um, others don't ask because they think they have to figure it out on their own. And it's really more of a, you know, uh, I tell my developers all the time, in general, all of the team, I tell them, if you see something, say something, right? So you get a task and you, you have a question, just ask, just say, hey, it's not clear, or I don't understand why I have to do this. But most times, especially now on Zoom, people just stay quiet and you end up the meetings assuming everyone knows what they're going to do. And then they go back to their computer and they're like, I don't know what I have to do. I didn't understand. <laughs> so that communication yeah. is any developer. In fact, right now in our company, in Hello Iconic, we have all of the team taking a communications uh, training. Every week we have a communications coach come in and teach them communication, how to handle um, you know, feedback with, with peers, with their clients, how to tackle tough conversations. Uh, for example, clients are always going to want to have the feature done really fast and mm -hmm. they always want to hit the deadline. But at some, there are some moments where you have to give them bad news, right? You have to tell them it's not going to be ready for Monday and that's it. That's the reality. What do we do now? But instead, they're, they don't want to say it. So they don't say it. Then it's Monday and the client is like, where's the feature? oh, it was more complicated than we thought. Mm, and it's, mm -hmm. I mean, you knew that a week ago. Why didn't you say it? Yeah. Man, I've been fighting against that kind of stuff for the for the past 10 years. I know exactly <laughs> where you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially like at the end of a meeting when, when somebody, especially at the client, they've just gotten finished talking of this, like they, they just explained something for 30 minutes 
they've laid out this nice presentation, they've put a lot of thought into it, and this is their baby, right? They're, they're spending thousands of dollars on this piece of software that we're building for them, and they end their, their, their soliloquy with, do you have any questions? And then all they get is crickets. Chirp, 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 chirp. <laughs> and it, like, how do they feel? when nobody answers their question, well, sorry, when nobody asks a question, they just spent all this time explaining this thing and no one has the, the, the empathy for the client to ask a question. And of course, not just any question, you know, not, not just some stupid question, but, but to really put some thought and, and, and consideration into, into digging deeper into what they're going to be building. It's not just about getting information, but it's also about showing that you care, right? We want our mm -hmm. clients to really care, and and communication takes it takes it takes that that caring way deeper. Yeah, and definitely what you said there is is not just asking any question because that's the the other problem. Like when we as managers we tell our team ask questions at the very beginning we saw the opposite effect. They just want to ask any question because they say, you know, I need to ask questions. So they ask questions that they seem or they appear to be too naive because they're just asking because they want to ask. But there's sometimes they ask questions that they already know the answer to. So uh, what I tell them is like, first, before you ask, come up with the answer that you think the, you would have and phrase it to the client like, uh, like a confirmation, like, I think this is the, the thing we need to go with, but I wanted to ask you, do you have any comments or are we on the right track? So at least you're bringing something to the conversation. You're not asking a question, but you're confirming that you're on the right track. And that uh, opens up a conversation and then clarifies. Sometimes you understand something that is not what the client wanted to say. So it's not a question. It's more of a confirmation, like, I hear what you say is this, are we good? Or did I totally misunderstood it? So it's confession time. Uh, so <laughs> step into my confession booth, uh, Alejandro. Tell me about okay. your sins. What is the worst thing you've ever done with code? <laughs> um, there's a lot of things. I don't know which <laughs> You one. have many sins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a lot of things I've done. From from forgetting I left the process running <laughs> and just leaving it there, creating hundreds of thousands of rows on a table. But I think since I I, I have been working on apps for for clients since like uh, the year the year like 1999. So when I was really junior, I was already in Honduras building apps that were being used by banks, for example, because I had my own company still there and I was working with banks building their e-commerce systems when no, no one else was doing that in Honduras, but we were doing it in my company, but we were still really junior, but we we're the only ones doing it. So there were really bad things that happened there, not intentionally, only because we didn't know everything. So for example, there was a client that we built uh, like a point of sale system, but uh, on the web, they were selling uh, in, in e-commerce like goods online, but they were processing credit cards through their portal and everything's working fine and it was really secure and everything. But 
we were hosting that on our own. Like we had a, a small uh, hosting provider and I forgot to turn on the auto renew of the hosting because I was managing the whole thing. So there was oh a day <laughs> where all of a sudden on a Monday, the client calls me and it's like, hey, the website is not up. Where, where is it? I need to charge clients. And I check and it expired and it didn't have, I didn't have the, the hosting anymore. Luckily, I had backups of the database, but they were like from a week ago. <laughs> so I needed to go back, set up the whole system in a day and just give them the database from a week ago and tell them, you know, like we lost a week of transactions. So Ooh. sorry. <laughs> I mean, you have the money and everything because the transactions went through, but you don't have the information. And the mistake there is not a development uh, problem. You know, it was a process problem uh, that I didn't have the auto renew on the hosting. Mm. So it's not code, but it's part of the, like uh, one of the things when you run a company or a small shop or you're a freelancer is you're in charge of the whole, the whole thing, right? So uh, making sure that you have all of your auto renews in place, the backups also, I should, I should have like a daily backup instead of a weekly. Uh, so a lot of lessons that now, if you see the systems that I manage, I mean, we have daily or even hourly backups, everything is in auto renew and uh, you can roll back to different points in time. So yeah, but you, you learn those with experience. Yeah. I, as you were, as you were uh, confessing those, those sins to me, I was having some memories of my own <laughs> uh, things that I've been trying to repress over the past, over the years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's big. That's big. Um, they may be listening. So uh, if you'd like, you can take this, mo this moment to apologize. Uh, well, on, I, on our I, podcast. I apologize a lot <laughs> on that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. So now I'd like to hear what are some things that you see great developers doing? What are some some markers or hallmarks of great developers? There's things on the technical side and things on more of the uh, general side that I see. So for example, on the technical side, I see that great developers continue learning a lot on their area of expertise. So they, they learn multiple things just for fun, right? Uh, on New, new frameworks, new stacks, but on the on the stack or the area of expertise that they have, they always, they continue learning more and more. There's not a, a state where they say, I'm an expert and that's it. They just continue learning. And I see great developers using really new technologies all the time. It's not like you just say, this is the stack or this is the version of this library and, and I will continue using it always. I see that as a, a signal where great developers start using things that are really new, but somehow they have a way of deciding when it is too new to go to production and when it's okay to trust that the technology. So uh, that spidey sense of what to use and what not to use is something that really good developers have. And I've seen people that don't have it where they just uh, become stagnant, like they, they don't try new things and they they stay there, they, they get stuck. And the ones that are too eager to try new things fail because they trust things that are too new, they're never going to get anywhere and then they have to roll back to, to, to where. So that spidey sense of knowing what to trust and, and 
and start using on the new uh, technologies is something that good, great developers have. And moving away from the technical part, uh, maybe I'm, I'm repeating myself on this one, but just developers that see more than just the code. They, they see the big picture. They see, uh, and they have the capacity of making decisions on prioritization on their own by understanding that that context. So a lot of developers that don't have that, uh, that skill uh, end up having, uh, you know, being paralyzed on, on their productivity because they need to know all of the, 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 the answers. They have a lot of questions and they, if they don't have all of the questions answered by the client, they are like, they, they are paralyzed. They are like, I need to know this. I need to know that. Where others, they just need to know enough. Like, you know, the 80-20 rule, right? Like you, don't, you will never know everything. But if you know the 20% that is good enough for you to make a decision, you make that decision and then you own it. That part of ownership of a, a decision it's something that uh, great developers have, and they have that that way of getting to that. So, if you had one piece of advice to give the world's junior developers, what would it be? Would be to improve your communication skills. Okay, that that's the advice. And in in a more specific, yeah, learn how to communicate with your clients or with your team. If you are in a meeting, make sure you whatever you're sharing with your team is is of value there. Like. It's not just to be in the stand-up and say, this is what I did yesterday, this is what I'm doing today, no blockers, goodbye. It's, you're there for a reason, right? So learn to use those rituals for really productive communication. Don't waste them. Because I see a lot of that happening with juniors. Like uh, uh, They go to the stand-up, but you, you don't get anything of value from what they say. And then you figure out a week afterwards that there were things that they were blocked on, but they, those were not communicated early enough. So Alejandro, how would people reach you or or follow you? Or is there something that you'd like to promote here at the end of the podcast? Well, yeah, you can go to uh, my company's website is helloiconic.com. There you can learn about things we're doing. Uh, we are uh, adding more content. Uh, we want to get more like, you know, uh, webinars into our uh, our website and write sometimes on our blog. So just go to the website and you can find uh, links to our LinkedIn, to our uh, Instagram to follow us. And uh, if you want to follow me personally, my Twitter account is Corp, at Corp. So that's where you can find me on Twitter. Awesome. So Alejandro, I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for giving this time to uh, to this, this conversation. Uh, there are developers potentially all over the world who are going to be listening to this podcast and wondering what does it take to be a senior developer? What does it take to level up as a software developer? And I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us all so that we can we can know some of the steps that we need to take to move towards seniority and away from uh, juniority. I really <laughs> appreciate your time. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being with us and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today on the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Somerdahl. This podcast is for you. It's all about trying to help you become what the world needs you to be, a driven developer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, 
please share it with others or comment down below. If you'd like to follow me or this podcast, just look us up on facebook.com slash driven developer. And we'll see you next time.